to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Let us see God's grace as we come to his word. Oh Lord, how often does the psalmist pray, teach me. Your word, give me understanding, incline my heart to your word, turn my eyes from vain things. So, Lord, we pray that you would do just that. We pray that prayer of the psalmist, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Oh, bless us, Lord, for your name's sake. Amen. If uh, the has the sheets been have the sheets been handed out the okay uh, what's being handed out is a uh, it's not the study for this morning it's a take home test no it's um, it's basically a, a lot of things that in my study of this for the past few weeks I wanted to give to you whether you'd like to use it or not I'm giving it to you but it I, I try to deal with some of the themes of Psalm 119 and hopefully it will be helpful to you and encourage you to continue to get into this great psalm as we've talked about it one of the uh, richest sections of God's word uh, attested to by people throughout history and a mainstay for so many people in suffering and, and difficulty. I don't know how your early attempts to read the Word went, but in my background, I had this happen three, maybe four times, where on a generally a Sunday night, I don't know why it seemed to be that way for me, but we had invitations in my church, in the Methodist church, and a lot of... Uh, Emotion and a good emotion and some good things said, but we would come down front and I had some sense, and I don't believe I ever became a Christian because I really didn't understand the gospel until I was in high school, um, but I had some sense of I need to do better from now on. I had some sense of I'm going to try to be different than I used to be. Of course, not understanding the grace of God and not understanding His forgiveness it didn't go very far each time. But one of the things, that the church was just two blocks away from my house, still there. My mother still lives in that house. And I would walk home, teary, with the commitment that I was going to read the Bible. I never got past the genealogy in Genesis, really. And maybe one time I made it through Genesis and then Leviticus uh, and, and some through Exodus, but then when I got to the tabernacle in Exodus and Leviticus offerings, it just killed me. You know, I was wiped out as a eight-year-old, ten-year-old, twelve-year-old, fourteen-year-old. I wish somebody had directed me to Psalm one nineteen. I didn't give my personal testimony, but I imagine there is no other section of God's word that has meant more to me. 
I early on was put with people who uh, stressed memorization of God's Word. And I've committed over the years different sections of this as other places in the psalm to memory. And it has just been a richest place. There is not a week that goes by that I do not use Psalm 119. Not a week of my life. That's how precious it is to me. This morning, out of the many things that could be said, and you see some of those themes if you want to, if you take that home, there's enough for one per family, uh, I think 175 copies of that. Um, But I want to talk about the word, especially in regard to affliction, in regard to our being in a, a situation of suffering or persecution or affliction. Because that's where the psalmist found himself. We're not sure if his affliction was because, depends on when you date it. If it's earlier, it means that he was afflicted when Israel had turned away from Yahweh. And so anybody who was faithful to Yahweh was greatly oppressed. You only need to think of uh, Elijah and the prophets and how they had to hide because of their faithfulness to Yahweh, other times in the history of Israel. Or it could have been written when they were in exile and facing the oppression of pagan people. Either way, it is clear. In fact, the further you go into Psalm 119, the more you see of this expression of being in affliction, persecution. Interesting, isn't it, that this great, great psalm Focusing on the Word of God doesn't focus on the Word of God when times are great. The focus is on the Word of God when times are difficult. And so I thought it would be quite appropriate, since this was the uh, situation in which he found himself, for us to talk a little bit about that. First of all, I want to talk about how the Word sustains him and sustains us in affliction. And it sustains us, we'll see in two ways. It is our trust in affliction and it's our commitment in affliction. It's our trust and commitment in affliction. And that's how it sustains us. And we'll see even in affliction, we're transformed. How amazing that we could be sustained and transformed so that affliction, instead of hurting or destroying us, ultimately just pushes us forward in likeness to Jesus Christ. The word sustains us in affliction. Now, if you don't have your Bibles open, it would be good to do that. Page 512 and following where Psalm 119 is. He says, for instance, and I'll just be quoting different verses and and they're easy to find. They're right in front of you. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Your promise gives me life in affliction. Or verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out. They've seized me. They've overtaken me. They've ambushed me. But your commandments are my delight. Now, notice that word delight. He still has a sustenance, a joy, a pleasure. A pleasure in his contemplation of God through his word. The commandments are his delight. And then he is able to say in verses 92 and 93, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I would have perished if it had not been for your law being my delight. 
I will never forget your precepts, for by them you've given me life. And so he can say in verse 165, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. That's one to memorize, isn't it? Great peace have they, not just that have your law, but love it. You see the words love and delight. It indicates that it is their treasure. They depend upon it. They must have it. It's the idea of, uh, I can't put this novel down. It has me, you know. You're staying up late. You're losing sleep. You, you're picking, you're, you don't do it while you're driving, but when there's a good long red light, there it is in your hand. You know, you're just getting all you can. You're getting through it as fast as you can. It's that kind of sense that the word already is that to me. And in affliction, it continues to be that. It's my delight. It's the love of my heart. And already you see, the word is more important than my affliction. It's the fact that the word is more important. Believing his promises, knowing and tasting him and his word, that's more important than the pain I go through. That's front and center of what my life is about, whether I'm in affliction or not. When the law is my delight, when I love your precepts, then I have peace, then I don't perish. So it sustains us then, but it it sustains us because we trust in His Word. And His Word connects us to God's character. It convinces us of God's character. You will not be convinced of the true character of God apart from His Word. That's what reveals Him to you. That's what convinces you of His goodness. For instance, his steadfast love is mentioned in verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. You see, he's in affliction, but he's confident of his steadfast love. And he says, because it's according to your promise. Your steadfast love according to your promise. You're committed. It is your covenant. You've bound yourself to love me. And so I... Call upon you, show that love as you've promised. Or verse 76, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise. Promise to your servant. And so he's convinced because of promise that God has steadfast love toward him even when he's afflicted. That's a hard one, isn't it? Notice that word, kesed, that Hebrew word that means a bond of love. It's a bond of love that finally issued in the death of Jesus Christ. That's the level of God's commitment to do you good, and he will not turn away from it. And circumstances have nothing to do with whether God loves you or not. It is his steadfast bond to do you good, even in the midst of the most terrible things. And this psalmist is convinced of that. He speaks of his steadfast love constantly, constantly, even when he's suffering. I can't give them all there in your materials, but he says here, this for instance, as he's in a suffering situation, the earth, O Lord, verse 64, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. You ever made that statement in the midst of terrible things going on in your life? The earth is full of the loving kindness of God. You see, he's able to be sustained because he trusts in the, st- in the love of God. He speaks of mercy this way. He speaks of goodness in verse 68. You are good and do good. 
Teach me your statutes. That's a good phrase to have in your hand and in your head to declare and to believe when things have turned upside down in your life. You are good and you do good. And right now, you are good and you're doing good to me. Even though somebody else may not be doing good to me, you are doing good to me. Nobody can turn him away from doing good for his people. He speaks of his righteousness. He speaks of his righteous rules. We don't have time for, for, for those. But he constantly is talking about uh, God's righteousness. He says, The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. He says, Righteous are you, Lord, in verse 137. And right are your rules. The next verse, you've appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. You are righteous. You are faithful. You have steadfast love. You are good. That's, that is what is declared again and again in this psalm in which he is facing such suffering. So even in such affliction, he never thinks the Lord has wronged him. He even has this phrase, we'll look at it in a minute too. He says, you have afflicted me in faithfulness. Well, that's a hard one for us. You're faithful to me. You're bound to my good. That's why you afflicted me. It's not because you've turned against me. Is because you're faithful to me that you've allowed me to be afflicted. His faithfulness endures to all generations of his people, verse 90. So, the word is his trust. That's how it sustains him. He trusts in that word. But just a few verses on this idea, the word is his commitment in affliction. Nothing will turn him from keeping God's word. And the pressure is great. The pressure is great from ungodliness, whether it's among the people of God, as it was in Israel so many times, as it has been in the church so many times in 2,000 years of history, or from the world, from those outside of the church, to wean us away from God, to attack God's faithfulness and promise and goodness, to throw in our lot with them or bear the consequences, eventually to join in with their ridicule and skepticism, their revolt, to deaden our hearts for God and for His Word. It's always kind of fun when uh, Lila... Ah, another granddaughter. But when you're coming to something that's kind of scary, and it may be a dog she's unfamiliar with, some situation she's unfamiliar with, and she just, it's like she's going to crawl inside of you, you know? If she could get in your clothes, you know, and hide there, she, excuse me, she would, you know? And this is the way the psalmist acts in his embracing God ever more tightly, but he does so by embracing his word. You can never separate those. He doesn't discard God's word and say, oh, I can't do with that anymore. I can't concentrate on that. I can't, I can't uh, immerse my mind in God's word anymore. I, I'm just going to have to hold on here and hope God gets me out of this. He says things like this in verse 51. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Ten verses later, verse 61, Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. 
Verse 69, the insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Verse 78, let the insolent be put to shame because they've wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. And he says that again and again. They're, they're more than I've even said. But talk about, in, as people are attacking me, as things go bad, as, as I'm like wineskin in the smoke, he says, just crumbling, I still hold on to your law. It is my devotion to please you in the midst of suffering. Now, I've told you this before, but I have to repeat it. A good friend of mine whose father was dying, father lived in Michigan. And this was years ago at another church. And, and I was trying to comfort him over the phone about this happening. And he just stopped me and said, Darwin, the thing I want to do more than anything is just please Christ during the death of my father. Yeah, that's what I had in mind, yes. <laughs> Just please cry. You see, the focus of trusting in His love and then the focus of, Lord, enable me more than ever to obey You, fulfill Your Word, and cling to Your Word when everything stands against me and everything is out to tear me down. And so we must be like that child crawling up in our Father's uh, bosom through His Word. Not, a, and not indifferent to His Word. Not uh, in some other way other than His Word. But it is through His Word. And finally, we are sustained as we trust in this Word and are committed to this Word. And the result is that we are conformed to His Word. We begin more and more to obey His Word because of affliction. He says in, in verse 67... These three verses were early memory verses for me because they all had a theme. Verses 67, 71, and 75. I liked how they happened to be a few verses apart uh, when I was in high school and college. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71. It, was, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And then the one we've already read, Lord, I know that your rules are righteous. In faithfulness, you've afflicted me. In faithfulness. You see, he's not saying, why did you do this to me? Not concerned in the least of what its effect might be on your character. It's like character schmerichter. I want out. I want God to quit this. I want him to show me that he's really good. And in our day... Through the coming of Christ, and this is where we put the New Testament lens on this passage, now God himself has taken upon himself flesh. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 and 4 says, He suffered everything like us. He suffered every temptation like us. Why? So that now, even more, infinitely more so in a way, because of the infinite glorious work of Christ, we now come to Christ Himself. We come to a high priest who knows what we're going through, who's gone through it Himself. And, and the way to Christ is opened up completely because He has died for our sins. And now it has become a mercy seat for us, as the writer of Hebrews says. Jesus says in John 15, comforting His disciples, if they hate you, 
you know they hated me first. They only hate you because you're associated with me. Don't take it personal. It's me. It's really me. And it is your glory because you are associated with me. And so our suffering and our comfort is bound up in Jesus Christ. This table is the sign of his ultimate suffering, the ultimate abuse that he received from the world. When he said, take up my cross and follow me, the cross represents the hatred of the world against him. Take up that cross. Be willing to die. Be willing to lose everything in a world that may hate you in order to follow me. And in the midst of it, we'll be sustained by his word, but sustained now by the gospel, the good news that is completed in Jesus Christ, that if we lose everything in this world, we will have the new heavens and the new earth in Christ. He has gone to prepare a place for him. Well, we could spend another 30 minutes talking about the promise that we have in Christ Jesus. But if this psalmist has this kind of attitude to be sustained, to trust, to be committed, and to be changed in affliction, how much more we when God himself has come and borne affliction? And now he imparts to us, as we said in the baptism, he imparts to us his spirit that we might walk as he walked. Praise God for such a salvation, such a glory. And I want to tell you, if you're here and don't know Christ, every human being is going to suffer in some way or another. And every human being, unless Christ comes again, will die. Every human being. That's the ultimate suffering. And if you've ever, ever been to the nursing home, one of the saddest, most difficult places to see the ravages of a long life and ultimately the ravages of man's curse and sin upon a human body. It's just devastating to me every time I go in there. And I know if I live long enough, that'll probably be me. Or it may be Kay, or it may be you. It's just a symbol that suffering and tragedy and trial and affliction and finally death will come upon every one of us. How are you going to be sustained? What, who do you hold on to? What do you hold on to in death that will last through death and save you in death and bring you through death and finally defeat death and raise you again from the grave and give you a new body? Nothing but Jesus Christ, God himself, who's come in the flesh. There is no other salvation. There is no other hope in suffering and tribulation and trial and death than Jesus Christ. Won't you trust him because he offers himself to you? How did we begin? We begin the call to worship. Come all who are labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take his yoke. It is a light yoke. And he will give you rest for yourselves. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that in your suffering and death in your affliction and in your bearing the the horrible persecution of the world, in the most horrible way physically, you also, it was also a part of the plan of the Father to punish His own Son so that we would not be punished for our sins, so that we could go absolutely free and be declared righteous and be declared not guilty. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, you have accomplished salvation. You have taken away sin for anyone who trusts you. And you will raise them to new life after the pattern of your resurrection. New spiritual life and strength and desire so that we could actually have this, the kind of life described by the psalmist. We could have this desire for your word. We could have this love of you and this trust in you and this commitment to you through the precious spirit that is given us in Christ. And one day, death itself will completely be uh, defeated through the resurrection of Christ and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth for all who trust him. Oh, Lord, draw, draw people to yourself who perhaps have never trusted Jesus Christ, that they will do so now. And, oh, Lord, fix our hearts all the more on your abundant grace, what you've accomplished for your people. We ask it. In the name of Christ, Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, O oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through shades of night and chase my fears away won't you chase my fears away